0: What are we talking about today? Today we are going to talk about an easy subject, I would say, Mm -hmm. pretty light, I wanted to do something easy after Peter's death. So we are going to talk about how we met psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. and what uh, moved us in psychoanalysis that made us uh, stay with it. Mm -hmm. And become psychoanalysts. Yes. I guess that's the latest form or latest shape of staying with psychoanalysis. Yes. (laughs) You work on it. You do it yourself. You think about it. You record podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> you sweat psychoanalysis. Like I heard the other day,
1: we marinate. We <laughs> oh, we marinate. Yes. Which sounds better than sweating. You Are know? you? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You're such a supportive <laughs> co-member.
0: <laughs> yes, I am. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so um, what's next? Uh, Well, if you want to contact us, please feel free to do so on discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. You know, of course, you can contact us at our Facebook
1: page, Discussions on Psychoanalysis, SoundCloud, Twitter.
0: You can leave a comment on iTunes. Yes. But they only accept five stars (laughs) comments. is that true (laughs) yes yes i was contacted by Apple, and they say if it's not a five-star comment for you we don't save it just delete it just so you know that's that's the whole truth oh yeah
1: the whole truth yeah that's a wonderful fantasy yeah yep of course
0: (laughs) it might be it might be (laughs) just a little bit my name is grégoire pierre and i am edgar francisco danielson welcome to discussions on psychoanalysis
1: historically happened. After I left the academic world and came to... I was a professor at the University of Puerto
0: Rico. What subject did you teach?
1: I was teaching physical chemistry. So I was in the world of the natural sciences Mm -hmm. and I did that for a long, long time. I was a tenured professor there. Then I... Decided to leave, which is unthinkable when you're tenured, but I needed to breathe. So I explored other areas of knowledge, like the humanities and religion. Moved to the United States, to New York, and... It's funny, right? Mm -hmm. You were in Puerto Rico, and you moved to the United States. Yes, which has something about (laughs) my politics and how I see the relationship between... Puerto Rico and the
0: United States. <laughs> Good to <Good, you> know. <laughs> so for, for, for people who are not in the know, uh, Puerto Rico is some kind of neo-colony. Yeah. But it's supposed to be the United States minus a lot of things. Minus a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and a big <laughs> tax. <laughs> yes.
1: So I moved. I left the island. I think, I, you know, it was not clear to me until I began to train. So... Now, I am in the United States, in New York, and I am working as a just, minister. Just,
0: just a wait, 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 wait. wait. Uh-huh. Just a little bit. Yeah. Why do you think, looking back, you didn't feel like staying as a professor? Mm-hmm. You said yet you needed to breathe. What was it that made you feel like you couldn't breathe?
1: When I look back, now with the understanding of my own dynamics at this point in time, Mm-hmm. I realized that I needed to, you know, the cliché is to find myself. Okay. And find myself without the restraining forces of a certain system that is a colonizing system. Through various forces, I was keeping myself very small.
0: But that had more to do with the environment in general than your job per se? Yes. But you didn't decide to become a professor in New
1: York. I did not, because by that point, I had already transitioned from the natural sciences to the humanities and theology and religion, which is a you know, completely different field. At that point, when I was already here, I was not looking to be a professor. Why not? That's a good question. What I can say is that, as I went through my first analysis, I realized that I was repeating the pattern. That, you know, is connected to my family of origin and relationships in the island. Mm -hmm. Now, here is the transition to psychoanalysis because then I thought, I cannot be a pastor. I won't get enough money for retirement. Yeah. So that was a practical thing.
0: That's how it came up.
1: That's how it came
0: up. But you were in analysis already.
1: I had not started analysis yet. Because I enjoy working with individuals, I began to look into mental health fields and decided for psychoanalysis. Now, why that is all connected to unconscious forces that began to be clear to me in my first analysis that I began when I began my training.
0: You begin your training and your analysis at the same time. At the same time,
1: Mm -hmm. which is not your
0: case. It is not my case. Mm -hmm. As I was thinking about this podcast, I was remembering something I think it's a real memory. I would say probably 9, 10. Mm-hmm. And I was watching TV. Mm-hmm. And it was a TV show called, I think, Ciel Montmardi. For all the French people who are about my age, maybe they are older, they might remember. It was a weekly or a TV show. And a psychologist had been invited. Mm-hmm. A woman. Mm-hmm. I think I can still see her. Mm. I don't know how much of it is a green memory. But I think I still remember her mm-hmm. like... A, tall long hair brunette clear skin and she was saying something along the line of when you are talking to someone on a date Mm -hmm. she was giving date advice probably something like that she said if you are talking to right-handed and they put their left legs on top of their right leg Mm -hmm. it means that they're not happy (laughs) <laughs> but if they are left-handed, it's the other way around. Yeah. What a BS. And I remember being a, a child, being like 9, 10, and thinking, it cannot be that simple. No. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, this is way too narrow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I can recall my first introduction to, I think, what would become psychoanalysis to me. Mm -hmm. Which is that this kind of cognitive psychology, Mm -hmm. even if this was obviously, obviously, I don't know if it's obvious, but it was a ridiculous example. Mm -hmm. It is still somewhat a speaking example of what mm, cognitive psychology can be sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like a very concrete and with patterns understanding of human Mm -hmm. psyche. I mean, there's no really human psyche. There's no fantasies. There's no unconscious. It's just like, you know, we behave in such a way. It means this and that. It means like, this or that. Yeah. Well, very easy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes psychoanalysis like it turns into that, but that, I think that's a betrayal. It offers something else. So that's how I started. And I know that growing up, I wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. I was the helper, if that is the correct way to say in English. But I would help. Mm-hmm. People would cry on my shoulders. Girls would cry on my shoulders. I would be uh, confident to all my friends. Wow. And eventually, I think I realized that when I was around, I would say probably 14, 15 in high school, I started to realize that to be kind, to listen, to give advice Mm -hmm. was never actually fixing the problem mm-hmm. that despite me being very careful at listening to my friends yeah. they would repeat yes that being kind being un- understanding it was not gonna be it wouldn't enough change it something was, was resisting mm-hmm. I mean, so this is not what i would think at the time yeah, but course. looking back yeah that's and i think what was i was experiencing and after high school in which I was specialized in uh, socio-economic questions, I decided to go to law university. In France, when you graduate from high school, at least at the time, you just decided which university you wanted to go to, Mm -hmm. and you specialized right away. Yes, Different system than in, Mm -hmm. in the US. And so I went to law. I thought I would become a lawyer or a judge, because i felt like every good obsessive person i would say i had a good (laughs) sense of justice (laughs) yeah and that i thought i could distinguish what was right and what was wrong and so i thought yeah the legal system is just uh, that's where i should go and it was very painful because in what sense i realized that it was all a game that Mm. the infamous constitution was just the rules of a game
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: you know like those uh role-playing games yeah. you have uh rules dungeon and dragons like for instance mm-hmm. one of the most well-known it's pages pages of rules if you do this this happens if you do that, this ha- that happens and i think the legal system is just that the constitution in france the constitution in the u.s It's the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. So you have the major rules of the game and then you have different rules. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, that is very shaky ground. Mm -hmm. And the more I would study low, the more I would be unhappy with how crazy it is in practice. And how actually there is this image of respectability. Yes. But it's a lot based on people's opinion. Mm -hmm. And they cover it with legal terms, with their authority that is provided to them by X, Y, and Z. And that people believe in. And I felt very alone in my class thinking but this is all a game. Those people who are supposed to be important, why are they important? Because they play very well the game. And you, you see that everywhere. He or she is the head of this company, so he or she is mm-hmm. a great person. Look at the um, Supreme Court in the US. Oh, the justice said something. Oh, who cares? Mm. I mean, I don't care. The fact that there are justices, to me, doesn't make them relevant. That's not a good enough criteria. Because you can become a justice in the Supreme Court just because you are on the right side of history at the time you are nominated. Mm -hmm. Should I remind people that one of the justices, I can't remember his name now, before he was a justice at the Supreme Court, can't remember the details, but he ruled that the company was allowed to ask uh, or didn't have any obligation to prevent a truck driver to die in the Mm -hmm. cold. Anyway, Already, my personality was like, how can people not see that it's a farce?
1: You were not a good fit for law. No,
0: I was not. (laughs) (laughs) I was (laughs) not at all. (laughs) It took me four years. (laughs) 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 Yeah, (laughs) and I started my first therapy, which eventually turned into an analysis. I mean, it was already an analytic therapy. The last year, I was in law. And, well, it was... Pretty helpful. It helped me on some uh, personal level, some personal issues. And I had a friend who had already integrated the University of Psychology, mm-hmm. Paris 7. He was talking to me about it from time to time. And we would exchange, and I thought it was interesting. And then I went to the, the University of Psychology, and i like, sure, oh, you have a degree in law. So maybe you could, um, if you want, you can do the first two years in just one. Mm-hmm. I said, sure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> During the summer, my friend lent me his copy of Introduction to Psychonesis from Freud. Mm-hmm. And I read it. I think I stopped when he starts talking about anxiety because it becomes a lot more technical at that point. But I was like, okay, this speaks to me. Yeah, This speaks to the reality of what I felt I've been confronted with in my connection with humans. Mm-hmm. There was an unconscious. We were ambivalent. There was something of masochism.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Things aren't as they seem. Yeah. And Freud, in introduction to psychoanalysis, really embraces all that. Yeah. And in French also, as mentioned before, it's written just like a book, like you're, you're reading a story. Mm-hmm. In the English version, it's more like, you have to digest some kind of medical uh, paper. Yeah, but yeah. in French, it's really like literature. A different. Yeah. So it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think I remember that in this book that he mentioned something like, like you're in an amphitheater, the professor is giving a talk and someone is knocking on the door and makes a lot of noise. So what do you do? And you say, well, if you can, you want to ignore the person making a lot of noise, you're gonna be disrupted. The class is gonna be disrupted. But what psychoanalysis offers is we open the door and we try to integrate. like, And we try to engage mm-hmm. with the person who's knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. For me, not having any sense of psychoanalysis at the time, I was just like, that is so fucking brilliant. Mm. Because I had seen that in others, I had seen that in me. Yeah. And so it felt like psychoanalysis was offering me a much more subtle version of human and humanity.
1: It's more nuanced. It's more, it takes into consideration the subtleties, nuanced human experience.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes. I really like sociology and socioeconomic considerations, which I still do. Mm-hmm. And I actually find that What I learned in law, what I learned in uh, socioeconomic uh, classes when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. they are still very useful to me, even as I practice psychoanalysis. But yes, psychoanalysis offers the possibility to consider people in their complexity. Mm -hmm. You're not just a box in, oh, this category of people, they do that. You can use psychoanalysis like that. It has been used like that. Yeah. You can say, well, oh, so you're obsessive, so you do this, you do that, and, and then that's a farce.
1: Well, we're more than one diagnostic yes. uh, label. You ask me why I chose psychoanalysis and to make it more complex, my in New York and had a psychoanalytic approach. It was once a week, mm-hmm. but I think that is what I connected while I was looking for information on different mental health fields. When I got to psychoanalysis, I, I saw something in the descriptions of the programs that reminded me, "But this is what my therapist was doing back in the island. And I think that's it made so much sense to me than any other program in mental health. So in the end, I chose psychoanalysis and began my own analysis. So you had the experience of training in an university or studying at a university and already been in analysis there. So it's been a, you have a
0: longer history. And actually even longer than I thought because I eventually realized that some members of my family were actually connected to psychoanalysis, mm, but I didn't know. So. Mm-hmm. so I'm assuming, looking back, that I grew up in a family with some members who were completely disconnected from psychoanalysis, and some others who actually probably listened to me and talked to me and talked about themselves and about the world with a psychoanalytic lens. mm mm-hmm. Without mentioning that it was a crisis, I grew up in a world where there was some understanding of that. As you're pointing out, I started really my training in France in the university. Yet, on the first year, we were taught about Ford, about Ferenczi, about Melanie Klein, about group dynamics. And other things that I can remember well,
1: It's now. a psychoanalytic yeah, yeah. Uh, lens, <laughs> uh, which is unusual in the United States. Uh, there are some universities that do this. They have a psychoanalytic lens, but
0: here in the United States, it's mostly in institutes. Mm-hmm. Even in France, this is, and I think this was, and I think still is, unusual. Mm. to be so specialized. I see. And they were very proud to be so specialized. But one thing that I didn't know I was experiencing is that I was also experiencing a place in which people had different points of view. And not only did each professor have their specific point of view, but during the class, they would spell out this might be from X point of view. Mm-hmm. And that may be from this point of view, and they would create bridges between different theories. Oh, they were not afraid, no. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, as it was my first experience in the training like mm-hmm. that, it's like, of course, that is, which became kind of an annoying aspect of my training in the US, mm-hmm. where people were a lot more defensive about that,
1: yes, about um, theoretical approaches as if yeah. it was
0: impossible. Mm -hmm. while I had experienced it for many years, that Mm -hmm. it was completely possible Mm -hmm. and everybody survived. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't lose faith in psychoanalysis, you wouldn't lose faith in what you believe in or how you perceive your practice. Is that the reason that you chose NPAP? Because it's among
1: institutes, one that is so-called eclectic?
0: When I knew that I was going to move to the US, I was still in analysis with the same analyst who as I mentioned before, was actually a Lacanian from a second generation Lacanian. She wasn't analyzed by Lacanian himself, but by the um, the first round of analysts he analyzed. She advised me to meet a secondist who actually died uh, a few years ago, but we invited his wife to uh, NPAP some time ago. I met him and he told me, well, you have to have a PhD. You have to understand that I had had four years of law, four years of psychology. I was done with <laughs> studying. <laughs> you were not going to do a PhD. No, <laughs> and uh-huh. I was not going to be in debt and to have a law <laughs> to of your life. <laughs> no. I was, so I listened very nice, very carefully, because yeah, he was, cause it was like, in the U.S., you need the title. You need to go to Colombia. I can connect you with Colombia. <laughs> and you need to have a you degree there I was like and then I got in contact from my supervisor uh, of the time with someone else who advised me like she was like and she was at Apricot and she told me well um, you shouldn't come to our place because we're not licensed yet mm. but knowing that you went to Paris Seven you should go to npp because they are the closest thing you will get from there because mm-hmm. they don't have a strict orientation correct and that's how it that's went. how you got there yeah mm-hmm. that's how i i went to uh npp that's it how did you go to
1: npp well i went to different open houses different institutes i went to three open houses I won't name the institutes, but two of those institutes, what I heard in the open houses. In one case, I was flabbergasted. I was, (laughs) this is not psychoanalysis. And, And so I left that open house. And I went to another that was very, very, very much one orientation. And then I went to the open house at MPAP, which was more eclectic. It was a huge open house. And... I remember members and candidates from different orientations and backgrounds. So that's the other thing, that I didn't have to do a mental health master's. You need at least a master's, and I had a PhD in chemistry, which it's fine for them. It's more than a master. (laughs) And it could be in any field. So that is the flexibility of MPAP. At the same time, it's eclectic and, you know, the spirit of Reich, that there cannot be one technique that there has to be more flexibility and fluidity, you know. I found that at MPAP, yeah. So that's why I got there in the end and decided to train there.
0: Looking back, besides the financial aspect, do you think there was something missing in being clergy?
1: I think it was not formulated, but it was pushing from within that I needed to do something to understand myself. It was a push. It made sense when I began my analysis, and then I realized how many compromise formations I had done throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Every decision could be construed as a compromise formation. But I think it was that push from within that led me to choose analysis as a field and analysis as also my own therapeutic journey. Religion could not do that. The religion tends to hold on to hope too quickly and comfort quickly. It denies and despair. And it denies a huge part of who we are. What clergy do, they jump into comforting and... Or Yes, absolutely. So something was missing because I... What was this complicated confusion I had inside myself? Jumping into comfort and hope was not helping me as a person. So it was not only the financial need to have a profession that I could continue to work for years and years and years. It's also that I needed to resolve some of my inner conflicts. And that was a push from within.
0: And maybe what I'm hearing too, or at least that's something I experienced, is that I felt like psychoanalysis was allowing me to accept the world as something messy and that it was organized around mess, which today I would say it's organized around conflict and ambivalence. Exactly. But at the beginning, at least, it was, okay, I couldn't stand this illusion that law had that things could be in order. Mm -hmm. Law tries desperately to put an order Order. to chaos Mm -hmm. and cannot stand chaos. And I found that psychology tries to give order, tries Mm -hmm. to give meaning, but tolerates chaos. Yes. That's something that was very important very quickly is that I felt like law could not sustain castration.
1: hmm I've heard you saying that before, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that psychoanalysis was open to castration, that mm-hmm. it was part of the deal. Mm-hmm. That it was not a bad thing, that we could live with it. Yeah.
1: Limitation is part of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and loss is part of life. Yeah. Chaos. And
0: yeah. law is completely against that. Law mm. has to find a solution for everything, and at the same time, law is such an hypocrite understanding of life, because it's always about playing with the law. It's mm. always about manipulating it seems the law. That, that
1: it impacted you in, in a very intense way, you know, that when you saw the game,
0: nobody was questioning law as a field. And what I appreciated going to university, uh, Paris Seven was professors were actually criticizing psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it was refreshing to mm-hmm. be able to read Ford as a smart guy who had struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we were taught Ferenczi, who was a complete rubble, mm-hmm. it was fine. We were allowed to listen to what Ferenczi had to say and without completely throwing everything away. Mm-hmm. Ferringsi brought something of a clinical questioning that Freud could not. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't mean Freud was bad. It doesn't mean Ferringsi was the best. We can hold the ambivalence. Yes. It was such a relief. Mm-hmm. And then also we had and I think that's something that's very missing in the training in the U.S. But I don't really know how. Possibly we could do that. But in France we had to have internships. Hmm. And that was also life changing for me. And I was very just by chance, a friend of mine for the first year of internship told me, oh, you know, this is a cool place. It looks like a little school and they're looking for interns, which was unheard of because usually it's hard to find an internship. I went there and I went to what I will know as l'école expérimentale de Bonneuil-sur-Marne. So uh, experimental school of Bonneuil-sur-Marne. Bonneuil-sur-Marne is a place near Paris. It was called a school to... Help the kids who were there, kids and teenagers, to feel less disenfranchised. Because they were very psychotic, very Mm. borderline, Mm -hmm. severely borderline, Mm -hmm. severely autistic. Mm. So they wouldn't go to the hospital, they would go to school, like every other children. Mm -hmm. That's just a detail of how things were organized there. But it was like you would go and it, there were two houses next to each other. And again, I think, uh, I don't know how many times I've said that since we started the podcast, but one day we will have to talk more in detail about my experience there. And you would just enter the house and here you go. You have kids uh, running around. You say hi. You say hi to uh, people in the like adult team. And... Um, I created a um, workshop there for uh, one of the teenagers, severely autistic. I even worked at night there because they had um, houses or apartments nearby for the kids whose parents were way too out of it. I see. And so Uh it was for me like psychosis in the real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I needed this experience on the field. Mm -hmm. And that was very transformative. Mm -hmm. That spoke to me. What I really liked about psychoanalysis is that, in addition to what I is between normal and pathologic.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: That the normal and the pathologic are just a question of degree.
1: Oh, yes, but I fully agree with what you're saying. Yes, we are not a
0: diagnostic label. We are very complex. We move back and forward. Exactly. And there are places in us that are completely crazy, connected mm-hmm. to... Are next to places in us that are actually pretty much fine. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's so important because often in the discourse, people are limited to one aspect. Correct. That's something I said as an example. It's like there are some people in the government in France today that I loathe completely, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure that they could be fine during a dinner. Mm -hmm. And I want to (laughs) hold those two things together. Together. Because they do exist. Mm -hmm. To deny one or the other is going to cost you so much. Mm -hmm. And also, and in the same line, is Freud's take on homosexuality and Freud's take on the primitive. Yeah. Because to me, when Freud at the beginning of the three essays in a footnote says, basically, if we question homosexuality, we should question heterosexuality. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason to overvalue one over the other. I'm like, thank you. To only question homosexuality was also undermining heterosexuality. That to make it as a go-to was absurd. And I liked in um, Totem and Taboo when Freud is making fun of uh, the Viennese around him, being like, well, they all think they're so elaborate. But look, actually, they are behaving like the primitive they are making fun of. Because the primitive is inside us also Mm -hmm. and they're primitive not as a question of value but as a question of organization i'm happy that someone is aligning with me Mm -hmm. that people who are so well put together might just be more chaotic and Mm -hmm. brutal messed up (laughs) and destructive Mm -hmm. than people who are in quote, primitive, who actually work pretty well with nature, Mm -hmm. pretty well with each other, and we don't want to idealize one way or the other. But the way we see how ecosystem is working today, I think a suit and a tie doesn't mean that you know what you're doing.
1: The idea that we are complex reminds me that when we present our control cases, final cases in institutes, usually what we are presenting is the arc of a treatment we're not focused on just one moment of the treatment it's what has transpired and what has been the transformation of the patient and the analyst as well uh, throughout the treatment so it's it's never a static label it's always a dynamic process and now with regards to what you're saying about primitive or not well i have my take and my critique to freud but that i suppose we can go into a different podcast.
0: a broken-down truck in a sub-zero temperature. That's actually something you could find on the Guardian online. And uh, finally, I would like to say that the first analyst I met before I went to the US was Jean-Marc who's now deceased. Even if I couldn't follow his advice, the discussion was very helpful. And the woman who advised me to go to NP was actually Paola Mieli.
1: It's always a pleasure to do this for our audience and we would like to hear from you as well
0: see you in a month or so or so yeah bye bye bye